You're listening to Sports Content Strategy with Mr. Richard Clark. First person with the Junior Europeans three times, first person to win at the Senior Europeans and so on and so forth. But the recognition is not, not there for judo. It's, it's there for something totally different because I happen to be a fairly average competitor in superstars, you know what I mean? Ronda Rousey was the best there ever has been on the ground. There's no question about that. She, she was magnificent. But everything she did was basic standard judo things that any good judo player can do. We've fed over 32,000 people. We've been all around the little villages giving food out to people that can't get out of the villages and so on. So and we've done as much as we can to, to help the local people here. My name is Richard Clark. This is Sports Content Strategy. I'm a bad guitar player, hopefully I'm a bit of a better podcaster. This one is with, that's out of tune, this one is with uh, Brian Jacks, who was very, very famous in the UK in the 70s and 80s. And we talk now about athletes changing their story, becoming good at their sport, and then quote unquote leveraging their brand by going on television getting endorsements well that's exactly what he did but in the 70s and 80s um when no one was really describing it in that way because even though he'd won a medal at the olympics in 72 for judo we didn't really know him until superstars came along and then he was in our homes every friday night in the uk a quarter of the uk were watching bbc one because there was only three channels at the time so he's got an interesting story talking about that, talking about what he's done in judo, talking about how he jumped on superstars, what made him good at superstars, how he made money out of superstars, what he's doing now. And yeah, he's a very interesting guy, very forthright. Interesting story behind him. My name is Richard Clark, as I said. You can find me at mrrichardclark.com or Mr. Richard Clark on all social media. I'm a sports consultant in digital, social media, content, all that kind of jazz. This episode is brought to you by Sports Tech Match. There is information in the show notes on them or an advert in the middle of the podcast. And yeah, let's talk about Brian Jacks. Let's talk about being a 70s superstar, literally. And also, let's talk content, how to win at sports, unusual sports, how to be determined, and his life in Thailand. I'm Brian Jacks. I'm living over here in Thailand. I'm uh, 70, on the way to 76 years old now, and um, just really enjoying life, trying to relax a bit. I lived in Japan um, when I was 15 years old for a couple of years and enjoyed Japan very much. Trained there for, you know, for judo before I went back to get in the Olympic team. Yeah, basically, I, I enjoyed Japan so much. I went back after some several years and um, got to stranded in in Thailand at Bangkok Airport. The plane broke down, and we were told we had to stay there for a couple of days. And I had a look around at that particular time. That was back in the uh, early 70s, and liked it ever such a lot, um, and decided that uh, I'd go back there for a holiday, went back for a holiday, liked it even more because it reminded me of Japan back in the day. And um, I've been been here ever since, more or less. I'm a, and thanks for speaking to me, Brian. Your book is called Mindset of a Champion. And yeah. I thought that was a, 
an apt title because even though people like me know you through judo and know you through superstars and being extremely strong, what comes through in your story, it's all about actual mindset, going away to Japan at 15, uh, taking on different challenges. It's about mindset. So do you, do you see yourself as mentally strong more than physically strong over the years? Well, to be honest with you, I um, it's half and half because it's a great question, really, because I was at the age um, in judo where I, I was obviously British champion, European champion. I won medals in the Olympics and the World Championships. And I got to the stage in my career where I thought, well, what am I going to do when I stop doing judo? Um, and then I decided to go into college to become a teacher, a qualified teacher. Um, and I did the three years at college. I went to Avery Hill College and I was very fortunate. My head of department there was Joe Jagger, Mick Jagger's father. And um, I got through college. So, yes, it, it, to answer your question, I, I do like a challenge. And that was a challenge. Um, it was a big challenge in my life. And then once I got to become a teacher, I, I got two jobs. The second job, I applied for um, uh, a lecturer post, scale one. I'd only been teaching for a year and a half, two years. And uh, I phoned up the number, applied for the job on the phone, and the guy on the other end of the phone said, uh, I, I recognised the voice, but I didn't know who it was. He said, you don't know who you're speaking to, dear. So I said, no, who is it? He said, it's, it's Hal Owen. He said, I was your teacher at school. I said, no, I know who you were, Hal. And he, he was the guy that was um, head of department at the college that I got the job at. So I was very lucky to get the job because of the, my school teachers. Um, so, you know, challenges to me are very important. The, the challenge of the superstars was important. Um, not only one event, but every event was important. Um, you know, each different event in it was important and, and each different programme was important because I always wanted to do better than I did in the programme before. Um, at, at everything and I think that's the way you know you've got to look at life you know you've got you've, you've got to achieve haven't you and the mindset thing I think it, it comes through because I think I'm right in saying post-judo you'd got yourself into what was a good job with pension and stuff like that made the gamble to leave to go to superstars because they weren't allowing you to keep the job and you'd also gambled at 15 to go to Japan 36 hour flight, which is nuts. And basically you got beaten up every day for two years. That's what I read the story as. So you've taken these gambles, but had the mindset to follow through on the gambles and make them work, even though, you know, they're gambles. So you could have lost. So again, it's that, it's that, it's that having the, having the mindset to, to make sure the gambles you make pay off because if they fail, you're in trouble, right? Actually, when you put it like that, it's it's exactly right. But at the time, I don't think it was a really a gamble. It was just something I wanted to do. Um, so um, I, I don't know whether it was a gamble, but I just wanted to do it. And I wanted to do it so badly that I, I was prepared to get thrown around and get beaten up because I, I presumed um, and what I'd been told by the Japanese people that that was the way to, you know, to learn not to get beaten up but by getting beaten up. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm saying beaten up in a very, very light-hearted manner. You understand that? I mean, beaten up is getting thrown around the mat like a rag doll, which is quite normal for uh, every, every Japanese person you see that wins a gold medal in the Olympics or the World Championships, 
They've all been through the same thing as me, all of them. They've all been through it the hard way. You know, everything in Great Britain now in the judo world, in my opinion, for what it's worth, it's too soft. Everything's it's got to the stage now where I was back two years ago teaching, um, you know, promoting my book, and you had to stop every 20 minutes for a, for a water break. I mean, I used to train for two hours. If I, if I stopped, I'd get my ass kicked. It, it's very soft now, very you know, easy. I, I think if you want to win a gold medal at the Olympics, then you've got to go through it. You've got, to, you've got to be pushed. You've got to train hard. You've got to work hard. All this jelly baby stuff doesn't do nothing for me. Uh, that was, I was going to ask you that because obviously you won a bronze medal in 72 in Munich, right? A, a huge deal because at the time, Team GB wasn't winning the type of medals it does now. Also, the funding was very different. I presume judo was a different world. So just tell me what you know, GB judo was at that time, because it seems to have been, as you say, very hard and very poor. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, the, the way I look at everything in life, even now, the things I mean, I, you know, I, I'm still very competitive in different things that I do now, but you, you can't, you, you can't, Pussy foot your way through something if you want to get to be the best. You've got to you've got to really buckle down and try as hard as you can. And you know you you've got to see what failure is to actually see what achievement is. And um, the only way to do it is by working hard. Yeah. My podcast is sports content strategy, so I talk about stories around sport and also sports business. These days, a gold medal is a ticket to all sorts of sponsorships and things like that. What, <laughs> I'll use a word that you probably don't use very often. How did you monetize your bronze medal? What money did you make from it? Was there any financial benefit from you winning that bronze medal? Um, I can't actually say there was at all, no. That's a difficult question to answer, really, because I got to the stage in my career when I was very good at what I was doing, but judo's not a sport that sits bums on seats to watch it. Even though you won the bronze medal, most people like me know you through superstars. And did that change your life financially? Did you benefit from that? I, I read that it was 500 quid to go into it, 200,000 if you, sorry, 200,000, 2,000 if you won the show, and you got a TV, and you got nine TVs. Is that well, right? That, that two thousand pound rock, by the way, yeah, was two thousand less the five hundred pound entry fee. <laughs> Cheap so and so's, right? So okay. So, so you forfeited the entry fee, right? Okay. So it, it was only like one and a half thousand to two thousand. I think was the most I ever won in any one of the superstars, plus the. If you broke the record, you won a, uh, an extra television or you won a, you know, I, I got fed up with television, so I asked for uh, a washing machine at one point, which they gave me, which was quite nice. That's right. You, you won a TV if you broke a record and you ended up with, I, I read it was nine nine Ferguson TVs or something but, like but that. But to be honest with you, the spin-offs from winning the programme were very lucrative, obviously. You know, I mean, I, I you know, I made, se you know, several good, pots of money from winning the superstars like appearing on television i mean we did everything from this is your life right the way through whose baby through the keyhole all these different programs 
And obviously, everyone you did a little bit more money came on, but it's still not mega money. It was still very, very small amounts of money, really. Nothing. Because what what, what did I have to give the advertise to people? You know, I didn't really have anything. I mean, do you understand what I mean? I I didn't have a a tracksuit or anything or a pair of running shoes or... Well, yeah, but what you did have, I mean, in the old days, sportsmen and women excel in their sport end up on supersize a physical event these days they excel in their sport and they end up on strictly come dancing which is a very different kind of event i don't know if you know strictly come dancing but it's a dancing show but it it, it kind of makes them famous and if you have that interest around you you can make that sell you had tremendous interest around you because 16 million people roughly a quarter of the population of england i i was i was hearing which is between 16 and 20 million were watching that show every week which means i know your face i know your face because i watched it as a nine-year-old and that means there's interest these days you turn that interest into money i mean i remember i played brian's brian jack's superstar challenge on my commodore 64 and i played it because i watched you on the tv on a friday night The, the interesting thing is the interest is what they sell and i was interested in the way you were sold on the back of that. Cause I tell you what, now I think with the show that big, you'd have made millions with the success you had on a show like that. You'd have made millions. Yeah, different time, have, different time. You have to remember we're talking about 40 odd years ago. Yeah. A different time. I know. I know it's a different time. I know it's a different time. Um, and, and also that may not have sat well with you. I don't, I'm not sure you'd have, you'd have been the type of fella to go on Strictly Come Dancing. I don't know. But, <laughs> but um, did you enjoy the fame? I mean, you said, you said at the start, you, 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 one of the reasons you moved to Thailand to get away from it. Did you enjoy that fame being recognised? Um, yeah, obviously, obviously, even now, I mean, it's a phenomenal thing because, uh, you know, every day people, but today, for instance, you know, somebody come up and said, are you Brian Jackson, you know, blah, 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 and all the rest of it. And it's a wonderful thing um, that, that the recognition is still there after so many years. And it, it is wonderful. I mean, I, I would hate for you or for, for that to be taken away from me be, be, because it makes you feel very proud of what you've done. Even, um, you know, even if it was in a... Um, just a show like the superstars, for instance. But I, I, I just feel in my heart that I, I was so good at judo, and I won everything, you know, every medal. Um, and and I pride myself in the fact that I was one. Of, I was the first person to do it all, to win all the medals, to win the first person with the junior Europeans three times, first person to win it the senior Europeans and so on and so forth. But that the recognition is not, not there for judo. It's, it's there for something totally different because I happen to be, you know, um, a fairly average uh, competitor in superstars. You know what I mean? So is that annoying? Is that, anno- does that rankle with you a bit? A bit annoying, but at the same time as being annoying, I, I'm very proud of it because when people talk to me, they 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 say to me like, "How how did you how did you get around the track on that bike so quick on the push bikes quickly? 
how did you manage to do so many orbits? How did you manage to do this? How did you manage that? And when 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 you actually sit and talk to people and say, well, it's all down to what you were talking about to me in the beginning of this program. Put your mind to it and you'll do it. You know, put your mind to it and you can get it done. Yeah, I was interested when I read that you spent a lot of time having your own techniques, your dip technique. And of course I watched you last night on the dips and my, <laughs> oh, my, my Lord, you were good on the dips, but even you set, you were setting up the bike, measuring the bike. So you were getting maximum leverage, maximum power, most efficiency. Now, I don't know, this is the seventies and I know sports science existed and all that kind of stuff, but I sense that a lot of the competitors wouldn't have taken it that way. You were taking, mm. you were taking a problem, breaking it down, trying to ma get maximum bang out of the buck, you know, maximum out of your fitness. Was And was that different to what other people were doing? Were you different in that sense? Yeah, obviously, because um, I, I basically, because I was um, a PE teacher, my, and, and I love sport. I love any sport. Um, I like, you know, I, everything I did was based around trying to win that particular event, whether it be cycling um, or whether it, you know, any of the events. So what I did, I went, if I didn't know, then I went to somebody who I thought would know. Like the cycling, for instance, I went to an Olympic bronze medalist and I asked him to show me what to do. The first thing he did, he said, how can you ride that? He said, it's like riding a camel. Yeah, so he set the bike up for me, showed me how to set the bike to get maximum efficiency out of pedaling power in a certain position on the bike. You know, I, I spoke to m my father about the, the arm dips. We, we or he looked very carefully at the, the, uh, the angle of the dip. If you were dead upright, you're lifting all your body up and down, the whole weight of your body. But if you tilt... And, and work this way, you can actually push your body up and down with the, with the bottom half of your legs and so on. So everything was done, um, you know, for maximum efficiency. And a lot, a lot of people just got on the bike and just rode the darn thing. I mean, you know, they, they, they didn't go, I, I had swimming lessons, I, you know, I had lessons in everything. Um, even being a teacher and knowing how to teach it, I still had to get somebody else to look at me doing it so that I got the maximum benefit out of it. So um, I think at the end of the day, if you're going to do something, then do it right, you know, get it done properly, get it done efficiently. The digital transformation of the sports industry continues to accelerate. We've seen technology play a huge role both on and off the field to drive new business models and help us reimagine how sport is played and officiated. As the number of technology vendors in the market increases exponentially, Sports Tech Match saves rights owners time wasted speaking to the wrong vendors. The platform enables federations, leagues, clubs and other sports organisations to quickly and confidently identify and connect with the right solutions. Sports organisations at all levels can use Sports Tech Match's unique and anonymous request for information service to create and submit their requirements to a growing community of trusted vendors. Go to sportstechmatch.com for more. It comes across that, you know, 
you have that motivation for a challenge, whatever that challenge will, will, will be. And obviously in judo, it's there, the Olympics. We all grow up knowing the Olympics is important. When you're involved in superstars, no one really realised how important that was. But you, your mindset clearly sees a, every challenge as a challenge equal, no, no, no matter what the reward or the history or whatever. Were you born with that? Were you? Did your dad give it to you, that ability to see challenges and want to rise to them? No, I, I, I think um, it's a little bit of each, but my, my father definitely knew that if he pushed me, I could do things. Um, you know, I, you know, I used to make things out of wood, woodwork and do all different things. And he knew that if I wanted to do it, I could do it. So he used to push me. I mean, uh, it, and he, it got to the stage in, especially in the superstars where I trained for like five weeks, six weeks. He, he set the program out I'd train. And then the competition was on the Monday and on the Saturday, in the program that he'd set out, it was double of everything. And when, when the Saturday came, he said to me, what, what you got your, your uh, gear on for? So I said, I'm just going out to start the, the, today's training program. He said, no, put some jeans on and a, tea and a shirt. And I said, well, what are you talking about? I've got to go and train. So now he, he, he was holding me back. And then... I got my jeans on, my T-shirt, you know, my shirt and jeans on, my shoes on me. And he took me to the golf course where he'd hired two horses and we went out riding for two or three hours. So he was naturally holding me back because I wanted to do, I wanted to do the, the double that day. I was all set up to do double of everything, but he wouldn't let me do it, which held me back. And then I had a day's rest on the Sunday and then, of course, on the Monday, I was biting at the chump to do, you know, to to get going. So um, he he knew how to handle it, which was which was very very rewarding for me. In any case, well, it's what they do now. It's tapering down, isn't it? Boxers taper down, uh, fighters tape, taper down before in that, those few days before. And that actually brings me to another area. Would you have been interested in UFC? Because you did a bit of boxing as a kid, I know that, uh, amongst other sports. But we've seen judo players adapt um, and wrestlers adapt, but judo players have adapted and done well. I don't know, it strikes me as something you might have been interested in. Obviously, there's a little bit more blood involved. Um, I must admit, I do like to watch it. I like to watch it a lot, but um, uh, I think if I, was, if I was around about the age of about, 19 or 20, yes, I probably would have said yes. But I'm not interested anymore. <laughs> no, no, I'm not saying now. I'm not saying now. <laughs> but um, it's a bit of a fantasy matchup, isn't it? Connor, uh, Connor McGregor versus Brian Jackson in the Octagon. That's another one for a video game prep. But, um, no, no I, I, I would have liked, loved to have done it, yeah, because I, it, uh, I, I, you know, when, when you're very good at something, whatever it may be, and you watch two other people trying to do things that you know a lot about. Like I watched them doing the uh, the grappling. To, to be honest, none of them have got any idea. Really? No, they haven't. They really have not. I mean, I see so many opportunities where they could win the fight, you know, quite easily. 
but they're, they're, they're not trained on the grappling side of it. The boxing side, I don't know that much about, although I've done a little bit of boxing, but I'm not, I'm not a boxer. But when I see them grappling, I, there's so many things, I mean, so many ways they could win and end the fight so easily. To answer your question, I would I would have loved to have a go of it. Would have been great. I think Ronda Rousey was obviously he was you know, a big female UFC star. She was Judah. I think she won bronze as well. I believe, if my memory. Yes, is she did. Yeah, yeah. And and she, I've watched her a lot, and she's very, she won most of her fights on the ground. Typical judo movements, which other people don't understand and they don't know how to do it. Loads of even some of the best they're ridiculously poor on the groundwork. Uh, well, that's I mean, they, they come from either well, I, I don't know too much about UFC, I've done some podcasts on it, but there's boxing background, there's wrestling background, either sort of Greco Roman wrestling style, and um, uh, and judo seems to be two three places they come from. Do you think judo blends itself really, really well? To, I mean, if you can get them on the ground, you know, if you can, if you've actually got to get them on the ground first, because if they're standing up. You know. Yeah, yes. The answer is yes. I mean, it's very easy to get them on the ground if you've done judo because judo is all about getting the person on the ground. That's the whole object of the of judo is to smack the person on his back. Mm. Um, and once you've got, you know, once you're down there, um, the idea is to either pin them on the ground or put an arm lock on them or put a choke lock on them or put a strangle on them to win the win the fight. Um, so. The, the answer is yes. Everything is perfect, except we don't learn how to punch and kick. Mm. Now, if you asked a karate man the same question, they would be very good at kicking and punching, but they wouldn't be any good on the ground. So really you need someone that's, you know, that, that's good at punching and kicking um, and that's good on ground. Ronda Rousey was the best there ever has been on the ground. There's no question about that. She she was magnificent. But everything she did was basic standard judo things that any good judo player can do. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the people that do MMA, they don't understand it. With all due respect, you're old school in your attitude towards motivation of sportsmen, okay? Or athletes, I should say. The famous story, now tell me if this is true, because this is what's been reported. You were the coach of Neil Adams. He went out to, was it the World Championships, and your last thing to do was to punch him straight in the face as a matter of motivation? Yeah, tell yeah him. him in the face, yeah. So what was the thought process there? Well, he, he, before he went on the mat, he was like a jelly baby. He was worried about it. He was getting all nervous and the rest of it. So I just went, get on the mat, get on with it. Now he, he won't he won't he won't admit that happened, but it did happen. Believe me, one hundred percent, it did happen. And he went out on in, onto the mat, and he was so angry that what I'd done, he took. I said, "Take it out on him. Don't take it out on me." And that was it. He won the fight easily. He cleaned the guy. He was so much better than the guy. But before he went on the mat, he didn't really think he was. Now let me tell you something else. I'm the first and only team manager, right? that has taken a team, to a Great Britain team, to a World Championships that has actually had a gold medal one because I know how to, I know how to motivate people. He, he trained at the Budokai under me for a long period of time. Everybody that trained under me at the Budokai, they all got slapped about and told, you know, kicked in the arse and everything. And that, that's it. That's, that's how to get on it. 
I got it. I had it in Japan. I had it all the time. That's what makes you good. If it doesn't make you good, then get off the mat. You're no good. You're not going to make it. Where I'm getting to in this is if there's a weakness in this particular area of UFC and potentially one championship and the Team GB or wherever it is in judo want a different type of coach for whatever reason, have you ever offered yourself as a specialist UFC coach? Because their motivations are different, right? It's not just about, you know, lottery funding or government no, funding. I, I, their prize funds. To answer your question, it, I, you may, you, it may sound like I'm big-headed, but 100%, 100%, I could teach them such a lot because I watch it a lot. And there's so honestly, the, the opportunities that are missed in that type of grappling, not the punching, because I'm no good at that at all. But once they've been grappling, right, there are so many opportunities that are missed. It is absolutely, it's hideous. The nearest thing that I've seen to the type of training that I did is probably in, um, you know, UFC. Because, because the, end, the end of the, the end product is money. Yeah. So they're fighting for money. I was fighting for love and for a medal. But if they're fighting for money, I mean, I would, if it was now, I'd be fighting a lot harder now than I was before, believe me. Because now I understand that money does is important in life. Yeah, um, yeah unfortunately. Well, it's true. I mean, you know. It, no, it, it, it is. But my, my, my point that I was making earlier is that you've got a great ability to, uh, well, from what I can see, from what I've read and, you know, the 45 minutes or so we've been, been speaking, what your great strength is your ability to see a challenge, rise to that challenge, break it down in component parts and think about it strategically. And almost like the challenge is the bit. It's not the money. It's not the fighter. It's not this, that, and the other. The challenge is the bit. And that's been your great strength, right? Whereas some people, are, boxers um, struggle towards the end of their, um, their careers because they made the money and they don't need to, their, ch their challenge was based around money. And once they've got the money, they struggle to have the motivation to be prepared to meet the challenge. You know, you're, you're from what I see, you're motivated by challenges. Always been yeah, motivated. I've never, I've never been motivated by money because I've never had any challenge. For <laughs> <money>. <laughs> and and, and the, other, the other thing, I want, a slightly different, it's different tack. But, but sorry, but just before uh, you carry on, I, I, I feel that I could definitely help people that I see on the TV in yes. UFC, that type of thing. I definitely could help them, definitely. Mm. On the floor particularly and on the throwing particularly. Because that's what I've done all my life. But, I mean, um, I see so many opportunities. And I think, what the hell is he doing? Why didn't he, why didn't he do this? Why didn't he do that? But that's innate in my, my learning, you know, what I've learned. You understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the way I wanted to go with this is yeah. you're a cabbie's son, right? You're, you're a, and the, your dad was a cabbie, a black cabbie, yeah. and your uncles were cabbies, I believe. So it's in the yeah. family, right? And your first experience of judo was uh, the black cabbies versus, I think, was it the Met Police? Uh, yeah. Now, one thing that's interesting is... Um, 
I've got a friend who's a cabbie's daughter. And when there's a wedding, all the cabbies come out, the black cabbies do a, a parade kind of thing. When Prince Philip died, all the black cabbies lined up on, they took the afternoon off and just lined up on the mall as a mark of respect. There's a community around black cabbies that is a little bit different. It's a bit of an East End London thing or a London. Yeah, very and, East End. Yeah, yeah. And it strikes me that you've always had a community around you. I saw your This Is Your Life last night and on YouTube, and there was a community around you. You had a community around you when you sort of took on uh, superstars. You know, you wanted to bring in experts. You've got a community around you in Pattaya, and I know you're doing a lot of charity work there. So uh, am I, 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 perhaps I'm being a little bit of a sort of amateur psychologist here, but it's since you've always had community, grown up in community, and the cabbie community is different, and that's been another strength of your success building communities and uh, mutual help. Uh, am, I, am I barking up the wrong path or am I being... No, a... You're on the right path, but it, it, it's more like people have come to me than me going to them. You know, my, my good friend Mark, Mark, who wrote my book, um, you know, he comes up with... You know, I, I, I just... I, he comes up with all the ideas and so on and... Um, it was a bit like my dad, you know, he had the idea of doing this, you must do that, you've got to get the bike to this, you've got to get the right crossbow, you've got to do this, that. He had all the ideas, and, and I, you know, I performed them. Right. So, basically, you know, I have to be pushed, yes. Could you tell me the influence of being in that black cab community and the ways it was different to other working? Well, what, what you must understand is that so um, my, my mother had 11 brothers and sisters from the East End family, all lived in Stepney. And my father had eight brothers and sisters. They all had children. But a lot of the children were around about my age when I was about 20-odd became cab drivers. So I think there were 16 people altogether in the family, cousins and uncles, that were cab drivers. So... Um, I don't know, you know, I mean, I was a different one because obviously my dad sent me to Japan when I was 15 years old. So I was never going to become a cab driver, but a lot of the family did. And um, you know what the extended East End family is like? They're very big, aren't they? Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Just a final few, just going back into superstars for a second. Daily Thompson, how do you feel about Because I watched it again. I didn't quite realise at the time how big that rivalry was, and the show kind of built it up. Was that manufactured, or was there a bit of a thing going on? Rivalry. No, he, he um, I don't know. I don't like talking about people, but I, I took, I, I took uh, a 36-seater coach with all the children on it, you know, from my judo club. And uh, they came to the, the event, and uh, obviously, they were very excited to see famous people like JJ Williams and and uh, and um, you know all the people that were there. And obviously, he, he, they asked him for a, an autograph, and he refused a couple of people, a couple of kids. And I just thought that was totally out of order because if you haven't got time for young kids that come along to watch you, whether they did it because the kids were from my judo club. Or not, I don't know, but he didn't sign autographs. For him. 100% he refused. I've got no respect for people like that at all. 
And that made me even more determined to beat him. Right. I think if that's, that had happened these days with a show that was as popular as that, that would be running in the newspapers all over the place. Because well, did, did, don't you remember what he did when he got the Sportsman of the Year award? No, no. Tell oh, me. Go back and have a look at the records. He was in the, the theatre and they called his name out as the winner and he stood up with a tatty old tracksuit and said, oh, fuck, is it me? On the TV. Funny enough, I didn't quite realise the rivalry. I emailed him for a podcast and you for a podcast. I haven't had a reply from him, but we'll see if the outcome's on. You were both strong competitors. You, you know, he was winning the Olympics at a time when very, very famous. Your medal was not as high profile. Wait a it was, it was, was a big contrast. He was winning the Olympics when? Uh, yeah, I know what you're going to say. He's going to, re- he won it in 80 and 84. Am I right in there? Where were half of the world? Yeah, okay. I know, well, I know, yeah, that obviously the Americans weren't in Moscow in 80. Well, that's Russia. one of the reasons I didn't go because Margaret Thatcher asked us not to go. Oh really? I thought I thought you'd retired by by eighty, but you were still. No, I was I I, I was I was in the nineteen six four sixty eight seventy two seventy six, and I would have been in the eighty. I was British champion at the same time. Right. Okay. Sorry. I thought I thought I thought you retired in in seventy nine. Okay. Well, so I, you... reti- I, I was still I still could have gone to that Olympics. Right. So so you went... well, because half the. World weren't going, as you know. Half the world didn't go. You yeah. understand that? Don't yeah, you? yeah, yeah. That yeah. Um, and she, you know, she did ask people not to go, mm. not, not to support it. Mm. Mm. But only half the world were there. He won a gold medal, and only half the world. Okay, good luck to the boy. He won a gold medal. It's fantastic. No, no problem at all. But a lot of luck in it. So your life now, you're still fit. You're still. I've seen some videos in the last couple of years of you getting back on the on the bars and etc a lot of golf a lot of charity work and you run a hotel in Pattaya so tell me about your life I cycle every day as well I, I, I'm on my push bike every day okay so what's because I have trouble with my back I, the, the spine goes over by four inches and um, I can, I'm not very good at walk, walking or I can't run I'm not very good at walking because the back's so bent but I, I can cycle so I keep fit on a bike and your golf handicap, where are you at the moment? Because you... 18 at the moment. Oh, hang on, it's gone up. I was reading it was down at eight a few years ago, am I right? Yeah, it was, yeah. When you get old, you can't hit the ball so far. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, fair enough. I know charity work you've been doing in Pattaya. They've, uh, t- tell me what the issue is and tell me how you're helping. And also tell me what, what COVID's done to that area because I've got no concept of what's happening in Thailand. Well, because of COVID, people have had no work. Shops have shut. Businesses have closed down. Um, you know, everything's came to a standstill about 11 months ago. And loads of the local people that, um, you know, sell off the tri- street stores and places like that didn't have any money, couldn't buy any food. So Mark um, put a whole plan together to, to raise money to help feed them. And I just... You know, he just used my name to um, help raise the money. And Mark and I and, and the girls have been, we've fed over 32,000 people. We've been all around the little villages giving food out to people that can't get out of the villages and so on. So and we've done as much as we can to, to help the local people here. 
And that's basically it. I mean, you know, it's just a, a, an act of kindness, really. Right, OK. Mark, Mark, Mark put everything together. He's the, the brains behind everything. And tell us about your hotel, because it's, it's a big one, isn't it? And did, did, Am I right in thinking you built it, did, designed it? It's not, it's not a hotel, it's an apartment block. My, my son and I, um, we bought the land, we, we put the pegs in where the building would be, and we built, it's actually got 69 rentable units inside it. Each unit is about 38 square metres. Um, some of them are like 120. Um, and it's an apartment block where people can rent an apartment fully furnished. You know, it's got bed covers, beds, TV, Wi-Fi, fridges, uh, air condition, fans, little kitchens. Uh, we've got a swimming pool outside in the gardens. We've got undercover car parking, undercover parking for the motorbikes. And people just live here very cheaply and uh, enjoy life in Thailand. Called View, View D Apartments. If I'll put all the links in everywhere. Every podcast I do has a has a podcast page, so I'll put all the links into your book and the links into your apartments, and so people can uh, follow you. I'm not sure if you're on social media, but we can put all the relevant links in. So go to the the website page for that. My last one is: I see you as a person who's risen to challenges. What challenges do you have left? What do you still want to achieve? Um, it's a very difficult question to answer because. I think you get to a certain age in your life, and I look around at other people of my age, and um, my challenge now is to keep healthier than everybody else. It's basically it. You know, I, I train every morning. I try and swim a lot. I go out my push bike a lot. I'm playing golf quite a bit. Um, and with the handicap of my back, um, I try and do as many things as I can just to keep fit and healthy. I mean, um, you know, I've... I've just I've got a guy living here at the moment. He's just come back from hospital. He's two years older than me, and he's in a terrible state. But he still insists on smoking. Um, he still insists on drinking. Uh, I just want to, you know, a healthy life, and I want to try and enjoy things as much as I can, um, the things I enjoy doing. And and, and uh, so far, I'm achieving that. <laughs> I am achieving it, believe it or not. Okay, well, thank you very much, Brian Jackson. Lovely, lovely to speak to you. You can find Sports Content Strategy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Go to sportscontentstrategy.com for more information and to sign up to the newsletter. Richard is at Mr. Richard Clark on all social media. Read his blog at mrrichardclark.com. <laughs>